Welcome to the Boneyard. This is a podcast about Mythgard. This is episode seven, The Force of Flakens. Because when I play Snakes and Stretchers, I feel like a damn force. All right, my name is Flake, and I will be your host. I'm joined by my co-host, Mark Theus. Oh, you just had to make the title about you, didn't you? <laughs> uh, we're happy to bring you a yet another episode of The Boneyard, and we want to start the show by thanking our wonderful sponsors, Team Rankstar, Inked Gaming, 98.3 Media, OP Seat, and all you wonderful listeners. Thank you so much for making all of this possible. Yeah, and Reddit and Discord servers are buzzing as new players continue to join Mythgard and get acquainted with the game, the decks, and the trends. And as such, there has been a lot of chatter and feedback being tossed around by the community. And in this episode, we will dive straight into the juiciest bits of the mailbag and tackle some of your questions and concerns. Correct, Mr. Flake, to help us navigate the murky waters of community questions, we are joined by Procaster Laserzician. He is a member of Team Rankstar, a caster by trade, and was also the host of uh, TESL's Master Series Finals at QuakeCon. Yes, now it's time to shoot first and fly casual, so play the music and let's enter the boneyard. All right, as usual, we're going to start with the state of Mythgard. Nothing's changed because we don't have any of those wonderful pigeons arriving on our our, uh, our windowsill, giving us all that juicy information, all those meta snapshots and such. But our friends at MythgardHub.com are going to be working on that soon. We're just kind of waiting for metas to actually settle because things are still changing. You know that's true. It's the same song and dance here, folks. In terms of a meta report, as soon as one develops, which uh, we hear is in the nearish future or so, we will have you covered every single week right here on the Boneyard Podcast. Now, as for now, we can only really go by our own experiences, our pains and triumphs and war stories. Now, I, for one, am ready to swan dive off my freaking balcony if I have to face another red rush deck or and and just frankly, green cards in general general should be completely illegal. That is a science fact, ladies and gentlemen. Now, Mark, what news do you bring from the micro meta? On my stream today, Flake, I ran into four reanimator decks in a row and they were all completely different <laughs> so people are discovering the magic of reanimator but i've also run into a ton of orange and as much as you dislike green and you like rush i am just having the worst time with orange because seal of exile is just ruining my life yeah that's a pretty nasty card and, and i agree but like when you say discover uh discovering reanimator i think it's more of like a rediscovering reanimator because frankly reanimator was around uh, very prominently, like a week or two ago, uh, I'd say, like maybe right out of open beta, uh, people were really into Reanimator and people were talking about how it's OP, it's this, it's that, and then it disappeared. And now I guess apparently it's back and featured prominently on your stream. So uh, yeah, you someone someone must have streamed it. That's what it is. I, I that's what I said. I'm like somebody had to have done this recently and posted a deck because everybody was. I can't believe how many I ran into in a row. It was it was unbelievable. I've never run into that much of the same thing. That's the thing that we always talk about with the meta. Oh, we see so much different stuff. I've never seen that many reanimators in a row before. It was crazy. Well, I guess I'm not going to play because I, I was honestly thinking I just got some uh, I opened some uh, some rares that are, are really reanimator friendly, like the big uh, the big rares in green as yeah. well as the um, uh, the the short stag. I, I pulled that recently. So I was thinking maybe I'll play some reanimator. You know, I've never really done it for the 
you know, or giving it a real kick at the can. So I was like, man, maybe in a future stream, I'll give it a shot. But apparently the cat's out of the bag again. So um, until we can stuff it back into a, a burlap sack and with enough air holes and food, ladies and gentlemen. So don't <laughs> get me wrong. I love animals. Um, but besides that, friends, we do have a wonderful guest today by the name of Laser Jishin. Laser is a uh, he's the captain of Team Rankstar's Elder Scrolls Legends team, but he's also a caster for various events, as well as the host of TESL's Master Series Finals that happened at QuakeCon. Now, he's also an avid card player and has an impeccable beard. My God, uh, the jealousy <laughs> is just ridiculous. So welcome, Laser. How's it going, guys? Now I'm fine, Mark. I don't know about you. I'm I can wonderful. I'm beautiful. But you know, <laughs> you can't. You got to choose one. Both. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> wonderfully beautiful. You know, every every time I listen in, everyone always says what wonderful intros you do. Got to say, feels pretty good, man. <laughs> That's what they say. They they're like, wow, I like I've never had that kind of intro into now uh, you know into a stream or into a show or into anything. Frankly, now. All I will say is that if ever I am, uh, I have the honor of being a guest on someone else's podcast, they could make up all kinds of stuff about how great I am too. I'm not saying that it's fake about you. Just saying that it's it would be nice if someone can throw me a cookie now and then, literally yeah, being, and figuratively. Buttered up is always a good feeling, right? Well, oh, yeah. I like it. Would yeah, you like to complain about someone saying a bunch of nice things about you? <laughs> I have an I interesting think- stat for you, Flake. Did you Ooh. know now aside from Eolus and we're not sure about Leo, but every other male uh, guest that we've had has a beard. Really? What? <laughs> yes. I don't know about Leo. I'm going to we're going to let's just assume Leo has a beard. Every male guest that we have have had on the show has had a beard. Does Even, Charmer count as bearded? Yes. Yeah, does Charmer have a beard? Yeah, Charmer, like Charmer has, yeah, he's got like a scruff beard going on. All right. Well, we could say Leo Leo that. has, he has like a, a majestic mane, we'll yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go with that. Um, <laughs> we'll go with that. But it's, you know, great to have you on the show, Laser. And uh, I just want to ask you, since Mark and I kind of just traded some more stories about our recent, uh, you know, trials and tribulations on the ladder, et cetera, what are you bumping into? What kind of, uh, you know, report can you give us about your personal meta? Uh, does failure count as a meta? <laughs> failure counts as a point of sympathy for me, but not as a meta, my friend. <laughs> I, I played, I played like five games today. So, okay. So I don't have a ton of time, right? I, I usually have about maybe an hour, hour and a half to, you know, play casually and leisurely other than, uh, you know, filming for videos or, uh, editing articles for team rank star or other things. I generally have about an hour to an hour and a half. And, I played today and I, I think I just lost like six games straight and said, you know what? I'm going to go get ahead on my editing for the night. But it, but the meta is really interesting. I see a lot of red, purple rush predominantly utilizing Orpheum of Horrors, uh. which is OK. OK, it has weaknesses that are very exploitable. And also it's very commendable for it being a very tight, like focused list. Right. It has a goal and it accomplishes that goal with frightening consistency. And that's one of those things that the game needs right now, right? Like, if we're looking for a meta, if we're looking for a direction for people to go in, having these clear goal accomplishers of decks is really, really helpful. So I'm excited to see decks like that pop up. Even if they may be a little degenerate, they're still totally counterable if you have the collection for it. And if it's really that present, then you might as well tech for it. Um, 
which we can talk about a little bit later. It's uh, weaknesses and whatnot, but there's a lot of that. Um, and weirdly today and the last couple of days, I've seen a lot of blue mid range, right? A lot of the, the thunderclaps, a lot of the, you know, core staple blue mythics of Bragi and Magnus Thorson, uh, a lot of the giant stairway. Is that what it's called? I think. The yeah, yeah, giant stairway, yeah. Yep. yeah. A lot of, a lot of, uh, big beefy blue stuff with splashes of other things to kind of complement around that. So yeah. that's what I've been seeing lately. I don't want to dive too much into the aggro because I know that it's it's someone's question down the line about how to deal with it. So I think we can kind of save a little bit of our wisdom for for down down the pipe there. But I just want to allow our listeners to learn a little bit more about who you are. You're not as prominent on the Mythgard scene as some other people are, but that doesn't mean that you haven't uh, had an immense amount of experience in CCGs and broadcasting, etc. Uh, so I'm just curious about your CCG background. I asked this to most of our guests who come in uh you know it's nice to know what you're bringing into the game of Mythgard and what kind of knowledge and experience you have that is is you know your 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 pillar of of uh your pillar of experiences that you sort of stand on in order to support your gameplay and uh and your broadcasting yeah absolutely so i started off somewhere between pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh, between playing at like tb toys at my local mall on saturdays for Pokemon and then playing Yu-Gi-Oh! at uh, Toys R Us on Saturday afternoons. Um, God bless my mom. She would take us to these events every week with like the utmost consistency and sit around for two hours while we made noises at each other like, blah, 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 blah. It, was, it was great. <laughs> uh, that's that's Little Laser, in case anyone uh, was wondering. Um, little so Laser makes a, Little Laser noise. I love it. It's just great. <laughs> yeah, dude. Now, now it's more like pew, but whatever. Uh, so I did that for a bit. And, you know, I, I probably broke the rules more often than I played correctly because I'm, you know, 10 years old playing Yu-Gi-Oh! Who cares, right? Uh, and then I didn't really play a lot of card games for a while. For for most of my teenage years, until I was about 19 or 20, uh, I predominantly played uh, open-world role-playing games and a lot of Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, still do, by the way. Big D&D nerd. And then Hearthstone came out, and I'm like, okay, that looks kind of cool. I'll give that a shot. And I played that a little bit, um, got got into it in terms of having fun, not into it in terms of understanding card game theory or strategy by any means or um, knowing what deck was good other than, hey, look, Tice was playing this earlier. Maybe I should give it a shot. So Tice was – sorry, I, Tice was yeah. the, one of the, the players that – I, of uh, in terms of people who a I can just tolerate to listen to for extended amount of time without their either over the top annoyances, but yep. Tice was somebody I I was able to watch who was high level gameplay, very uh you know very chill, and him and Savage were were I think two of my favorite Hearthstone uh streamers. Now I know I didn't know them all intimately, like I didn't I didn't know the whole catalog that was available to me. But it's funny that you say Tice because that was somebody who I really respected as a streamer from uh, nice. my Hearthstone days too. Yeah, he's a good dude, as far as I can tell. Never met him, but I, I did that for a while, and then they started. Uh, it was right around when Jade Druid became a big deal whatever expansion that was. And I kind of got a little tired of it. It was when they started introducing RNG as like a, a, a barometer of skill where their idea was new situations are very skill testing and therefore we're going to send more at you. 
totally understandable. I, I not for me. Not saying it's bad, just not what I was looking for. Right around then, Gwent was getting into. I think it was their beta. I, I signed up for that and played it really, really hard for about two or three weeks, and then. Elder Scrolls Legends said that they were going to have their beta. And like I just said, I spent the last 10 years playing Elder Scrolls games along with like follow games, other Bethesda universe games. So this was perfect, right? It's, it's an IP I'm already invested in very heavily. It's a genre that I'm becoming more and more interested in. That's given me flashbacks of being a 10 year old at Toys R Us. So of course I signed up for that beta, get in. Uh, I think it was still during closed beta. I don't think it was open beta yet. Uh, play that for, I don't know, maybe like uh, six, eight months, something like that, and play it pretty frequently, right? I'm still terrible at the game. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. If you ask me what tempo meant, I would tell you it's how fast a song goes. <laughs> and I just kind of kept going with that for a while, and eventually I really, really enjoyed it. I started making some friends, and the kind of defining moment for me that took me from someone who plays card games for a little bit to someone who cares about card games was I signed up for coaching from uh, one of my now teammates, Endozoa. He's a really smart dude, really nice guy. He's local to my area. We hang out sometimes and we went to a concert. Uh, and I asked him, hey, you're you're doing coaching. I want to get better at this game. Uh, can you help me out? He's like, yeah, sure, of course. So we have a coaching session. Uh, you know, gives me some tips. We talk and stuff. And I'm like, wow, there's a whole lot I've never considered. So I kind of take that to heart. And... He asks at the end of the session, so what what, is, what are your goals here? Because one of the things he brought up early was it's a lot easier to make progress if you know what it is you want to progress towards. And so my answer was that, well, I see tournaments, but I don't see people who are good at public speaking. I don't see people who specialize in being a caster. So that was my goal from the get-go. I actually started by wanting to be a caster before I really cared about being good at the game. Now, obviously those go hand in hand. So why I signed up for coaching to start with was because if I'm going to be a caster, then I need to be able to talk about the game well. Interestingly, at the time, there was a weekly uh, tournament. I think it was around on Thursdays at the time uh, called Warp Meta. This was at the time a, a very important institution in the Elder Scrolls Legends because it was the most frequent and the most high-level tournaments we had available to us. And it just so happened that Endozoa was the person casting it on his own pretty much every week, because, again, there was a lack of public speaking, a lack of casting talent. So he said, oh, well, if that's what you want to do, do you want to join me this week? Well, yeah, I do, of course. That's the, that's the point. And that, that was kind of the line of the sand moment, right? Where I had a goal and the door kind of opened for me. Uh, let me tell you, I was terrible. I was so bad, dude. Because it's not a natural thing, right? You're, you're talking about something you care about, but you're not talking about it to anybody. So it's, it's definitely a learned and built skill. So most of my involvement with Elder Scrolls Legends for the, for the next year and a half-ish until now uh, was primarily through the competitive scene, through casting these weekly tournaments, through getting more involved in the community, and partly by nature of playing a lot and also partly through a lot of really intent, uh, focused intent. Uh, got a lot better at the game. I ended a couple of seasons ago in the top 100, which is mostly a function of playing a lot. Uh, 
And then around October-ish last year, I found out about the Mythgard Alpha because of uh, Aeolus, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago. And she was saying, this game is great. Everyone should check it out. So I checked it out. And she was right. It was great. And it still is great. I didn't play a ton during Alpha. I think I racked up maybe 30-ish, maybe 35 hours. Because I was still grinding really hard on Tessel, trying to get myself a seat on the caster's desk during our World Championships in the summer. Did that this summer. Ton of fun. Great experience. And now I'm kind of in this nebulous state of, well, where am I going to split my time between Mythgard and Tessel? And the more time goes on, the more it's looking like Mythgard is going to be taking up more and more of my time. And uh, now I'm here. Well, then, I mean, that's a, a pretty sick journey, given the fact that you kind of identified what you wanted from the beginning and, and, and made the right connections to get there. And you have a nice, well-rounded background. You say you spent time in uh, playing Gwent, playing Hearthstone, you know, from the days of all your pew-pew at the uh, tables at <laughs> Toys R Us. Uh, for the record, as a Canadian, we still have Toys R Us, so suck it, U.S. We still have Oof. Toys R Us all over the place. Damn right. I can still I could still have a place where I can be a kid, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I um, love it. Uh, yeah, it's one of the few benefits. Uh, it's up there with uh, our free healthcare and everything. It's uh, it's on the brochures if you ever want to come to Canada. We still have Toys you R Us. can't see me, but I'm shaking my fist at my screen right now. <laughs> oh, but I can see you. No, I'd be weird. Uh, <laughs> But making the connection between TSL and Mythgard, I'm just curious because there's obviously some, you know, TSL has kind of two a two-lane system to a degree. It's I know it's not a, a perfect translation, but TESL versus Mythgard, you've put in so much time uh, into TESL. How would you compare the two? So there's a couple ways where it's very comparable and a couple ways where it's very much not. The, the biggest obvious uh, comparison point that is valid is the lane system. Tessel has two of them. You have the regular no attachments to it lane called the field lane. And you have the other one called the shadow lane, which is you can't be proactively attacked for one turn. Uh, but for one turn, you are uh, targetable only by spells, not by creature combat. And there's a lot of similarities between that and Mythgard's board, right? You have to think about where you want to place things. You have to think about how uh, playing between different lanes may become a factor, how moving between them could be a factor, if at all. Yeah, granted, it's a, it's a shallow comparison because Mythgard's placement system is a lot more A, complex, and B, I, I would personally claim it's more meaningful, or at least more obviously meaningful, uh, but the the same kind of thought process is applied to both. The, the the big differentiating factor for Tessel from pretty much all other games is what they call the prophecy system, where every five health you lose, you get to draw a card for free, and if it has the prophecy keyword, then you get to play it for free. It's Tessel's equivalent of instant speed for magic. Um, and obviously, Mythgard has very little of that. It has Imperative Bell, maybe one or two others that I can't think of off the cuff, but it doesn't really have that much either, which is a good or a bad thing, depending on how much magic you've played. But largely, a lot of concepts apply to almost all card games, right? The core tenets of aggro, control, combo, and tempo, right? Those are all going to be present in almost all games that you could play. Right. That definitely carries over. A lot of the general CCG, TCG theory is going to work pretty much no matter what game you're playing. So 
really, if you if you understand the core stuff, then you're going to be able to apply it wherever you go. And I think that's one of the really cool things about card games. And one of the reasons they stick around for so long and why the genre is so popular is because you have that freedom to hop around a bit and find the one that suits you really, really well, as long as you have that backbone core uh, competency. Does that make sense? Yeah, make, no, that makes sense. But I mean, Mark has more reps with TESL than I I do. I've I've really put in maybe a few hours of the game. Mark, I'm I'm sure you, mm. you've got, like you see the lines of yeah. of similarity. Yeah, I always said that the, I think the the games that that are going to make somebody transition to Mythgard the easiest is going to be Magic and uh, probably Legends or Hearthstone because in Legends you've dealt with lanes, in Hearthstone you've dealt with, uh, you know, a lot of the mechanics of minions and creatures and in in magic you've dealt with the uh color system so like all those three yeah. put together mm-hmm. would like if you if you've touched one of those you're great if you've done all three then you're in a really great place to understand Mythgard pretty quickly and I, I think something that a lot of people have said is very much true in that Mythgard takes the best elements of all of them and combines mm-hmm. them into one game yeah, i think yeah, that's sure. why Mythgard has a lot of fans from all of those other games well, look who's coming over. I mean, there's a lot of players that are sort of jumping into the game who have come from all different backgrounds, be it TESL, are finding a lot of uh, joy and, and appeal in the game. You have players uh, like Mogwai, Jeff Hoogland, et cetera, who have a lot of both, like Mogwai has Gwent, Teppin, and Magic, you know, proficiency, who's jumping into this game and, and really loving and it. Duelist. And Duelist. I forgot Duelist, about Duelist. Yeah. That happened. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, and, and other players who are either Hearthstone uh, aficionados, Jeff Hoogland, who's obviously a, a humongous name on the magic scene. Did, did you are, hear about Jeff Hoogland today? Yeah, I saw his tweet. And this is a very interesting thing that for those who are, are aren't aware, Mad, uh, Jeff Hoogland, uh, if you do not know who Jeff Hoogland is, Jeff Hoogland is essentially uh, a name synonymous with uh, with with magic and has been for a long time. He is a He's a big name uh, as a player, deck constructor, competitor, etc. And he recently tweeted uh, today, actually, um, that he is going to be incorporating Mythgard into his regular schedule of streaming, which is in itself an immense, you know, uh, testament to the to the fact that the game has a wide appeal because you're getting players. I myself, most of my uh, stream time and most of my recent high level gameplay has been with Gwent. Uh, prior to that, Hearthstone. I play a lot of Magic still. Uh, Mark has a lot of Hearthstone and uh, and Gwent in his background. You have a lot of TSL, and everyone's just sort of coming together and saying, "Damn, I this game has what I like and weeds out what I don't like," which is fantastic. But I mean, like you said, we've said this before, and people have said it before. And I think as the game progresses, we're going to continue to see more names just at least dip their toe in to see what's going on and say you know what, I really like this, or you know what, maybe it's not It's not for me, because it's not for everyone, and that's true. It's, um, it's really punishing, is I think the, the one thing that I hear across the board in terms of negatives. If you make a mistake, you, you know very quickly, and there are numerous and heavy repercussions for making mistakes. Well, and part of that is the fact that, like, some people like that. Some people oh, like yeah, the absolutely. fact that there's no safety net for bad play that you're gonna get the only way that you're gonna survive not necessarily survive but the only way you're not gonna get punished for a mis- misplay is if your opponent misplays or, or doesn't notice the misplay which is uh, thoroughly likely right well it's, it's not quite i mean a lot of the times if i make a misplay my opponent reads right into it and and 
either emotes and makes me feel bad about my life and and then oh, more than more your opponent making a misplay back oh yeah oh it, they, it, that, yeah that's there's there's yeah. no there's no like autopilot deck really you know if no, you think about like if you look at, if you think about other card games there's there's decks that were like just eat like a, a great example is you know in hearthstone when you played uh pirate warrior it was like the most autopilot deck ever because it was just the combo was always there you know you knew exactly what cards you were going to do every single time and Mythgard's more like your game plan changes a little bit every time based on what your opponent is and depending on what your hand is and then you've got to make a decision on what you're burning you have to make a decision on where you're placing in the lane like all of that changes depending on what your opponent did and I, that's so like it's not i wouldn't say unique to because magic i guess is like that as well but it's so like your your game plan is so determined by by so many factors that it's impossible to have a deck that just is autopilot that it's the same thing every single time. I guess the closest you're going to get to that is maybe reanimator because reanimator, you know that you need to discard something large so that you can bring it back later. But even then it's not quite as autopilot. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, but you know, when you, when you say autopilot deck, I'm talking about like the first five to seven turns are the same combination every single time. Do you remember? Right. Uh, you remember Flake? Do you remember Secret Paladin? Old Secret oh Paladin. Oh my god! Yeah, oh, that was magic, like, yeah, Magic Seven. It was. Yeah. I remember that. It was like Argent's yellow Christmas Christ. tree going. Yeah, oh, that god. was that is the most autopilot deck I could think of because that was. Li- and I, I am ashamed to say that I, I played it too. I got a golden. I got a golden Paladin out of doing that, but it was the, so fun. <laughs> it was. Can because, we remember? Can we remember the sequence? Like the Magic Seven sequence was like Argent Squire yeah. into Shielded Minibot into uh, the, you had to play the Secret Maiden chick who like buffed every time a secret got played. Oh well, there was no. Oh yeah, that was your your number one, I think, yeah. or something like that. But but then there was also the the three draw the three the three mana play was the one that equipped a sword and put like three dudes on the board. Remember yeah, that? There, and then there was one that put um that that played five secrets from your deck into yeah. your yeah all at once mysterious yeah. challenger yep that but was like it, yeah. there, there was an actual one through seven one through eight step phase that was like the ultimate eight turn combo right. which was argent squire shielded minibot i for uh i forgot what the, the card's name was but it equipped a one three sword and put three dudes on the board sword of justice i think uh frig uh, no, i know i know i know what you're talking about you yeah. know what you're talking yeah, about yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah uh your four drop if i'm not mistaken i forgot what the four drop was your five drop was lotheb to stop any any possible spells your six drop was uh uh mysterious challenger which put all your sequences in play your seven drop was dr boom and your eight drop was Tyrion. and then that was there's nothing you can do right. to and get past that when i say autopilot it's because that's a deck that you can't make any mistake there's no mistakes to be made because your mana pool is already decided for you even if you didn't have those exact cards we just said in your hand there were like two other backups for everything so like it just played it the, the deck plays itself especially with the secrets going off it just you're just protected the like, there's nothing in Mythgard that really does that i can't think of any deck build in Mythgard where that's your game plan here's my no. one through least, seven and that's it now at least for now but- i guess that's right. And I think that's OK. And this is a good lead into our first submission. Again, this whole episode, ladies and gentlemen, is, is going to be uh, uh, focused on the fact that you guys have been sending us some really deep and juicy questions for us to sink our teeth into. So we didn't want to just 
relegate this to a third segment of the show. We wanted to really dive into these in depth. So we're dedicating these conversations to your juicy questions that you guys have been submitting via either Twitch streams or DMs on Discord or most prominently on Reddit. So our first submission is going to tie into what we're talking about. And it's from Ned134D on Reddit. And it has to deal with aggro. So we're going to go through this kind of one at a time. Now, we're talking about um, we're talking about autopilot decks or what's the closest to autopilot. And if you ask me, it would probably be something Red Rush, but I wouldn't even say it's autopilot because there's a lot of decisions that need to be made. But he, his first question is, why is aggro so damn good? And I'll let you have the first crack at this laser. Okay. So first of all, I want to qualify what I imagine a Ned 134D means by aggro being good. Because I think we have to define what good means right now before we can really talk about it. When I see why is aggro good, what I'm thinking is why is it popular right now and why are people having success with it? That is not an intrinsic state of goodness or strength on the deck, but it is reflected in the fact that it has a high play rate and reflected in the fact that with that high play rate, it also has a high win rate. Uh, first of all, I think it's more perceived good than it is actually a strong deck. Not that it isn't. It is a strong deck. Um, but I think the perception of its strength is a little higher than its objective strength. But there are a couple, in my view, very clear reasons why it's perceived to be so strong. The first thing is it, ha it doesn't have a lot of rare cards in it. Most The core of Red Rush is commons and uncommons. So you can make the deck pretty easily... Uh, from the new player experience you get 120 plus cards just for doing the tutorial then you get whatever packs you open and whatever wild cards you get from your map rewards and you can pretty easily put that deck together and i think just ubiquity makes something seem strong right if it's if it's part of the meta which i would claim that's red rush is one of the most uh, one of the closest things to meta we have right now uh, it's gonna yeah no feel I, strong I, I think I agree with you in that point in terms of what would be the most, uh, the closest we have to a quote unquote meta. Again, it's still too early and people are still trying things yes. out. So meta right now, people are still discovering combos and creations of deck ideas. And I think that this is the closest thing we have now. And it's probably is going to be moving forward. Red Rush will always be, and Mark's a freaking master at uh, annoying red burn face <laughs> asshole decks. Yeah. But Red Rush deck is going to be, I mean, it's just funny that red is the, the, the color that is always. associated with this every single time. But Red Aggro, in terms of Rush, etc., will always be, in every card game, there's going to be something that wants to just burn you to the ground before you can even catch your breath. And in this case, that's the, that's the fact. And I think you hit it right on the head as to why it's so good is because it's quick, it's effective, and it's cheap, and everyone can do it. It doesn't take uh, a 200 IQ to play Red Rush. I'm not saying that a Neanderthal is going to succeed with this deck. I'm just saying that if, if you can find an open lane, you could hit face, and you could probably convert into wins. And the Orpheum variant that's been really uh, popular lately, anyone doesn't know, Orpheum of Horrors, when the occupying minion dies, uh, deals one damage to both players and all minions, and the occupying minion has plus one, plus zero. Um, the, the goal with that deck is very well defined. Deal damage by putting rush minions onto that enchantment, 
and then have them die and then replace them with another rush minion. It's a very straightforward plan. It's a very easy to conceptualize idea, right? And I think one of the reasons it's powerful is because it, this is you know just my opinion, but it's the first deck that we've had reach a critical mass of um, ubiquity and clarity, right? Mythgard is a very complicated game. And Red Rush, with whatever splash of other colors you want to put alongside it, is arguably the most conceptually simple deck that we have that is still effective. And I think the reason it's seen, it's seen as so powerful right now is because you can understand what it's doing, which means people want to play it. Uh, things like the, I know in High Ladder right now, uh, the green-yellow Volition OTK uh, is really, really powerful because it has a lot of resiliency, a lot of healing, and a lot of really, really powerful late game. But getting there is a lot trickier than getting there is with Red Rush. So when you have something that's so clear and so well-defined, it makes it a lot easier to pick up and a lot easier to view how its power is going to play out. I, I, I like to equate this to, uh, you know, going to Ikea and picking up a piece of furniture. Sometimes, now I've moved and, uh, uh, you know, a handful of times in my life from, uh, you know, when I moved out of my parents' house, you know, 10, 12 years ago, uh, to when I moved into my, with my, some roommates, to when I moved out alone, to when I moved to Toronto and moved to another place. I've made my trips to Ikea to find shelves and this and that and stuff. Now, after my first shot at trying to build a shelf, I just went for whatever had the fewest pages of instructions because uh, to me, this is not how I want to spend my time. Uh, you know, to me, that end goal was to create a shelf and I wanted the least amounts of steps to get there. And to me, it feels like Red Rush is just that. You can still have a shelf, except there's going to be there's going to be an A through C you know, like a steps one through five, let's say at that point, whereas something like you're saying, like this, this volition combo deck has, you know, 10 pages of, of weird diagrams and insert rod a through hole B kind of thing. And all this other nonsense, it's still going to get you something cool. And it might, you know, set off a whole bunch of fireworks and cool feelings inside. But at the same time, it's, it's still going to be a shelf, whether it has sparkling lights or not, you're still getting a shelf. It's just, I feel like the reason why it's so prevalent is because it's accessible. And like you said, and this is great, is that there's a very clear route to victory that doesn't take an enormous amount of setup, steps, or survivability necessary in order to get there. Either you get it in the first seven to 10 turns, you have it locked down and ready to go, or you're done, you're out, and you try again and you re-roll the dice. People don't want to necessarily waste too much time on trying to do something new and exciting. Well, and like... We've also talked about how Mythgard brings in a lot of uh, strays from other games. Everyone knows how Mono Red Aggro works, right? Like, no matter what game you've played, you have run into Mono Red Aggro for years at this point. So you can pick up a Mono Red Aggro list and probably play it to some competency within, what, five, six hours? Oh, for Mono Red? Yeah. Well, Mark, tell us, man, like what, you know what? And this is I'm not saying this as a joke because you jumped into uh, you jumped into magic fresh off of nothing, like not knowing much about magic. And you just want you like, you know what? I like aggressive decks. I was I think you told me like I was a pirate warrior fan. I'm like, I yeah. do. I have the deck for you, man. <laughs> so so he like just walk us through, Mark, from the point that you picked up your first game where you felt comfortable playing magic to the point where 
you you reached your pinnacle. Like walk us through that as a mono red player, because I'm sure that there's a lot of parallels that could be drawn to why quote unquote aggro is good and why it's prevalent. Yeah, well, you guys made a lot of good points there, and and I'll I'll just I'll start by saying this. Um, you know, Flake, you saw my journey with Magic. I I got to Mythic in two months. My second season playing Magic, I got to Mythic on aggro, just on mono red. Uh, the first time I played Legends, I played a long time ago. Then the first time I picked it up again, it was like, oh, let me try this again. I played aggro red, and then I played aggro red yellow, and I took that to Legend. So. And that was only my second season as well. So my point there is just saying that aggro is a quick way to rank. And the reason why it happens so quickly is kind of what you guys said. Like the cards aren't very expensive to start aggro. Um, It's a really easy deck to start with for budget. They're usually very simple because the keywords are usually something very easy. Like uh, in Mythgard, it's just rush. That's the keyword. You just get to you get to play you get to attack as soon as you play the card. There's nothing more simple than that. Um, in Mythgard, it's a little weird because there's so many different ways to play aggro. Uh, but in Magic, you know, aggro was like well mono red like that's that's aggro. You know, there's there, but again even in even in Magic the keywords were simple for for red. It was it was spells. It was attacking face with spells. It was uh, uh, yeah minions you're, that you're, had. Uh, Haste. Not ru- haste, yeah, you know, yeah. and they're all but, all the cards that have haste or rush or those tags on it are usually inexpensive cards. Look at look at myth uh, in Mythgard. You're if you're playing red, your first rush card is only going to cost you two mana. If you're playing purple, your first rush card is going to cost you one mana. So it's very simple to start attacking face immediately as soon as the game starts. And also, they're all proactive, right? There's mm-hmm. almost no reactivity in those decks. And, you know, this is speaking in very broad generalizations, but from a, a new player perspective, being proactive is usually easier to pick up than being reactive. Sure. It's hard to be re- sure. it, reactive unless you know what you're reacting to. Right. And it's it's more, I think, if you're brand new something, learning something aggressive is easier than trying to learn something controlling or mid-range is always going to be there. That's just kind of a staple everywhere. But learning aggro is is easier than learning control that that's not just my own personal opinion but that's just like anyone new to a game learning control takes take but control usually takes bigger more expensive things uh control also takes um you understanding enough of the game mechanics to understand what your opponent's doing to know how to control it correctly and it and it also takes a lot of uh in Mythgard, i mean it takes a lot of defense defense and a lot of uh board wiping that those cards are expensive, so you probably don't have those right away. Uh, all right, all right. Here, you know? Here's here's my hot take for the day. You yes. ready? You ready? Hot take for the day. It is harder to master aggro than it is to master control. I mm. I tend to agree with that to a degree, uh, you know, to a certain extent. But I will say this as well: playing playing control versus uh, aggro. Being the aggro player, you're you're the one pushing the damage and i'm gonna make a shout out to no control who's also a trs member and one of the smartest card players i know and when we were discussing magic strategies he used to always tell me i used to send him deck lists and he used to talk to me 
and tell me, he's like, are you the aggressor or are you the, uh, he's like, are you the aggressor in your matchups? I said, well, how do I know that? I don't, I don't know that because I don't know who I'm playing against. He's like, you need to know that with your deck. You need to know if you're the one who's going to be pushing the pay, the pace and the tempo. And then that way you can build your deck around that strategy. And it kind of made me think a little bit. And red is always going to be the aggressor in every way, shape or form. So I never really wanted to be the aggressor in games because I like to play control. But what I did learn in that case was if I'm playing aggro and am the aggressor, I need to pretty much be uh, uh, really on point with my own deck strategies, and I didn't need to be too concerned with my opponent. As the control player and on on like playing off on my heels for most of the game, control players need to know more about their opponent's decks as, or as much as about their opponent's decks as they do about their own. Because if they're on your heels and you're playing from a reactive state, I need to know what my the win condition of this red aggro deck is. I need to know what the win condition and the strategies of re, uh, reanimator are, of, you know, uh, of, of big yellow-green combo, of, uh, you know, orange-red mid-range, you know, a blue mid-range, of... of, of enchantment decks etc yeah, is, is it worth using my thunderclap now or do i wait until they play the next threat and then use it after that exactly so as the control player i need to know more about my opponent's strategies or as much about my opponent's strategies as i do my own so for new players coming in who don't necessarily know what the hell's going on with other people's decks because no you know this is not on them it's just that they haven't had a, as much exposure to the game playing aggro puts you always 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 in the driver's seat and when you're driving you don't need to worry about the radio, you know, like you have other people to worry about the radio station, you're missing exits or whatever. You're just there with your foot on the gas and making sure you don't run yourself off the road. And that's basically why aggro, in my opinion, is so prevalent because the amount of knowledge needed of the entire game is limited to your own deck. You go face, you push damage, you make sure that that life total hits zero, and then you're good to go. And as you progress into the game and you face off against more decks, for instance, I myself am more inclined to try a new deck if it beats me and I haven't really seen it. And I'm like, damn, that's interesting. I lost to this deck that I'm not familiar with. I want to know how it works, how it runs, how, how it operates so that I can beat it in the future. New players don't necessarily always have that luxury, be it from collection standpoint or from the fact that they just don't have all the game's uh, knowledge all in, uh, you know, in their heads already. See, I, I, I think you're in my opinion like 75 percent right I, I think everything you're saying that's a about pass it, that's a that's like a, <laughs> that's like a, that's a, a c plus it's that's a c a, yeah whatever it is it's like a exactly it's it's canada. degrees yeah they right do. that's a that's like a b in canada man that's awesome i love it <laughs> yeah so i i think you're entirely correct insofar as we're talking about it being a great entry point for players to a new game or new players to a game either way um i think that the one confounding factor is that all of those decisions that the control player has to make, there's two sides to every decision, right? The the aggro player has to be considering those decisions too if you want to, you know, master playing aggro. For instance, but let's go back to that thunderclap example, right? If you're uh, you have let's say a parser recruit and then a, a Xerxian recruiter, right? You have a one, a two one and a two three on the board, and maybe you missed a creature drop somewhere around there, and your opponent's playing and you know they're playing a blue-based control. So reasonable to assume they have a thunderclap, right? Cool. Your opponent, you're thinking, 
well, they are a go-wide strategy. They're playing orange. They're playing tokens. Maybe I want to hold on to my Thunderclap until they have a wider board, get more value out of my clear. Sure, very, very common situation. It, there's there's two types of aggro players in that situation, right? There's the uh, me make trade, nope, me go face, yep, which is a wonderful way to play. Very straightforward, very easy to understand. Uh, but I, I think the thing that differentiates proficient versus masterful aggro players is they are on the other side of the coin of that decision. Do you use Thunderclap or not? You're thinking, how can I bait out Thunderclap such that they get minimal value out of it? You're thinking... If they don't have Thunderclap, do I win next turn? If they do have it, what are my odds of being able to recover? So uh, playing aggro is, I think, deceptively tricky if you want to play it at the highest, highest level. The thing is, you usually don't need to play it at that high a level, right? Like, not all of us are going to be tip-top ladder players or tip-top tournament players. I'm sitting around in, like, mid-gold, and I'm probably 80% of the time perfectly happy to say, uh, my rush thing goes on Orpheum, it goes to the face, and woohoo, I did it. But if you're really, really tryharding aggro, I think it's really, really hard to play it optimally. You know what I mean? So what's the best way players now, because this is another part that Ned has asked uh, in his submission to to the show. He asks, what are the best ways for certain colors to prepare and deal with aggro? Because a lot of people might not want to play as aggro but it doesn't mean that they're not going to face it right and um just you know wondering from your own experiences and the colors that you guys are comfortable from what is the best way to counter aggro and what are the best strategies to take uh against it the the uh, you kind of said the uh, the last thing the laser said um was that uh the two types of aggro players and the one that is the the more skillful will will know when to be greedy and know when to hold back. And I think that your goal as if you're playing against aggro is to get your opponent to either be greedy and think that they have lethal or uh, I, I mean, or get them to bait out things that, you know, you can easily take care of. If you if you suspect I mean, you're going to know you're facing aggro within like the first three turns, right? Because your face is probably getting pummeled already. So the best way to deal with that is um, it, you're mostly going to see red, orange or purple or usually the three colors that are involved in aggro. So, you know, if you know red has the rush, purple has token or purple has um, uh, items to give to the to the red and orange is going to be a swarm. If you know those three things, then you could start to look for ways to make your opponent get a little bit greedy and comfortable because when an aggro player gets comfortable, they're going to start playing fast. Um, it, it, as like my strategy playing aggro is if I don't have lethal by turn seven, then it's all downhill from here because I've probably already run out of gas by then. So get your get an aggro player to run out of gas before turn seven and you're pretty much good to go at that point because they're not going to be able to recover uh, after that. They won't have enough card draw to recover. They won't be able to deal with you now putting even larger things on the board. Yeah, um, I, think, I think that's a good point. The thing about it is that red has so many recovery tools. It has true. Uh, I mean, Journey of Souls is also really tough. Yeah, because, you know, Journey of Souls just replenishes. Uh, I mean, all these creatures that are just face tanking. Well, that you're dealing actually, with. I've, I've found a way today. Uh, 
when I was uh, during my stream to deal with that because I was trying to figure out a way, how can I still play kind of aggressive, but then deal with uh, reanimator uh, playing with their graveyard. And I, and I figured, well, actually, you know what? I can also mess with people playing uh, the souls uh, path because souls requires you to have three souls in order to then pull back from your boneyard. But if I have gotten rid of things from your boneyard, you can be sitting here with like six souls and there's nothing for you to take. So yep. that that was kind of my strategy there it was like, OK, if I'm playing against aggro, they're going to be playing souls. They're going to be playing smite or they're going to be playing infuse. Uh, so I'm just going to wait for them to get a nice <laughs> like bunch of stuff in the boneyard and then just get rid of it so they don't have a card draw. And all I did was I fatigued aggro players and that was it. And if you're aggro playing against aggro, you have two choices. You can either try to outrun your opponent and get to them first, which is always just a luck of the draw scenario, or you can decide I'm going to let them get aggressive and come after me and I'm going to hold back. And then once they're out of gas, I'm going to get rid of their graveyard and or get rid of their boneyard. And then I'm just going to attack face as fast as possible because they're only dropping one, one card at a time. So it, you when, know, it's when dealing with aggro, I find you have to sort of, you have to assess when it's in your best interest to confront and when it's in your best interest to race because you can yeah. potentially actually outrace. Now, the way that you're going to deal with aggro, because that's the question is how do you, how do we deal with aggro? Now it says, how do certain colors prepare and deal with it? Now, I don't know how I can specifically talk to, about certain colors. We could probably give you um, card names that can really help against aggro things like, uh, like the, the Thane in blue, the two cost uh, Yahoo and, um, and, um, Meso Libre and Yellow are very good at, at dealing with that kind of stuff, mainly because of the fact that they trade well and stall out your opponent, as well as the uh, the parcel recruits in orange, because you can just swarm them and really force trades really early. Now, the deal with that is, is that if you're constantly playing to match up against your opponent, unless you have high value trade targets, like two for ones, you're not going to get much value in just putting a unit in front of your opponent's unit and then letting it trade and die. And then you're still taking damage to the next rush minion. You're going to be playing from behind the whole time. My advice to you is that if you're not playing these high value trade units, like the ones that I just named, your best, uh, your best option is to work towards what your win condition is, which is either bigger minions that can really trade well, but you're always going to, you know, you're, with things with overrun, etc. And if your opponent is playing onto a um, an enchantment like Orpheum, don't confront it because they want those creatures to die. So you don't necessarily need to go ahead and meet them in the streets, uh, you know, for pistols at dawn at that specific location. Take the fight to another side, start overwhelming them on that side, and maybe if you're lucky, you can outrace them. Now, here's the deal. The fact remains that there are matchups you're just not going to win. And uh, I was listening to or watching Toonstar today, one of the champions level players, saying that there are certain matchups where his deck, the deck that he's playing is just going to lose to that deck. It is a 90 to 10% uh, certainty that just some matchups do not pair well against other matchups. It's kind of going down that whole triangular thing of, you know, Aggro beats control uh, can be uh, really beat control. Control beats mid range. Mid range can fight against aggro. That kind of thing. The deal is, is that you just got to make sure that you know when your when your 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 losses are there and not feel terribly bad about it. And in the aggro um, 
in the aggro mirror, just stick to your game plan. Whoever can execute their game plan better, don't try to overthink it. Don't try to you know make value trades when you can, but just stick to your game plan and go for it. But unless your deck is particularly tuned to beat aggro, you know, then you're not going to necessarily be head and shoulders above them because red has so many damn recovery tools, be it Panic Raider, uh, Icor Feast, Crimson Pack, Extract Life, um, you know, uh, so many ways to draw cards, get favorable trades, have huge, huge, huge damage on uh, a, a red carnival, and then you're essentially effed because you've spent the first five or six turns trading your bigger minions into their smaller minions and suddenly you have 12 health left your opponent has seven cards you have you're, you're playing one unit at a time and they are they now have four on the board and no matter how much your giant uh you know your hyperborean is pounding their face you're taking twice as much back on the other side so it's not worth it that's my advice in this scenario and i don't know if you if you boys have any additional kind of advice on how to deal with aggro i know mark you definitely add added some some wisdom to that laser what's your your thoughts on this so there there are a couple categories of cards uh, that rather a couple roles uh that you need your cards to fill in order to combat aggro really well you need um removal you need in this game very likely you will need healing and you need card advantage those are in my opinion the the three things that are really really pivotal to getting there with a non-aggro deck uh, for for removal you have things like thunderclap uh, technically cataclysm but i view that better as an, a mid-range finisher instead of a control tool um, or magnus thorson yellow has uh, vicious cycle for spot removal or misanthropia for aoe uh, red has magmatar for aoe um, orange doesn't have a lot of aoe besides armageddon angel Green has almost no AoE, I think. Uh, purple has the Immolation Cloak that comes off of the 5-7 uh, guy I can't remember the name of. Yeah, the um, uh, the Lantern Colossus, I think. It's yeah, thank you. So every color, uh, maybe save green, uh, has a pretty effective form of AoE removal. So make sure you have something like that if you're worried about uh, aggro being hard to answer. You need to have healing more often than not if you expect to get outpaced. Things that are really effective there can be Strigoi Pup if you have an enchantment to boost it up. One of the ways blue-red mid-range can come back is putting a Strigoi Pup on top of a giant stairway. Very, very powerful. Um, yellow has Wonder Drug, which is really good. Purple has Biting Blade coming off of Sword Saint. Put that on one of your bombs. Suddenly you just healed eight health. So healing, especially in Mythgard, I find to be very, very important in order to help yourself stabilize. And then, like you were saying, Flake, red aggro has a lot of good ways to recur threats and to extend its resources. You can't let yourself be out-resourced by your aggro opponent, so you need card draw. Yellow has Maze. Uh, blue has Brainstorm. Orange has Peri Peri. There's... Uh, every color has some way to extend resources, and you need to make sure you include enough of that in order to... Uh, get to your late game threats and even if you don't get to your late game threats you have a better chance of drawing into your removal options and your stabilization options so i think in uh, a control specific shell if you're trying to build a control deck things you're really going to be looking for are removal uh, especially at least some degree of aoe removal some degree of healing and stabilization tools and then some degree of card draw and resource extension that would be the shell that i build 
in order to really, really stick it to aggro if that's my plan for a deck. Yeah, but I mean, if we all just agree that nobody plays aggro, it'll hey. all go away. Hey, no. <laughs> hey, Mark, yeah. Mark, Mark, that's great. What are you talking about? Yeah, just don't play it. Just don't play it. We're good. If everybody just takes my advice, don't play aggro. Everyone's going to be happy. All right, I, we're going to move on to the. I, wait, the hold next. on. I, think, I just want to say one more thing about it. I just want to say one more thing. Yeah, yeah, and go, I, go, and go. I think, and you kind of said it, but I just want to say, I think it's the most important thing to remember. We could talk all day about strategies against aggro. The most important thing to remember is sometimes you just, it's just not going to happen. Because you're yep, sometimes you don't get there, right? Because aggro is always going to have a way to get to you very quickly, and sometimes you just don't have. It's just not in your hand. You didn't pull what you needed in order to deal with it fast enough, and you're you know that feeling of oh, I'm just one turn too late. If I only pulled this card last turn, it would have been fine. That's going to happen to you, and you just have to accept that. Sometimes you just can't. You can't beat aggro. It's just the way that it is. Just like there's a lot of times that aggro just can't beat you. That's that's you the nature that. of card games. You can say sometimes it's not in the cards for you. Uh, uh, hey. This guy. All right, all right, that's the last episode I ever do. That's, uh, that's all. Right. Um, all right, so I'm your new host, Laser Jishin. Welcome to the Boneyard. Welcome. Flake has left. He is uh, gone seeking uh, sympathy cookies and comfort cookies. Welcome to the uh, aggro yard. Oh, <laughs> so, so I think we had another question, right? Yes, we did. And this one is coming from, and oh my God. Okay. So uh, Reddit names are amazing. So <laughs> here we go. This submission is from Coffee Sex Katamari. <laughs> like Katamari Damasi? Yeah. No, I, no clue. I don't yes. even know. But uh, <laughs> all right. And uh, it was actually a very well thought out uh, and, and elaborate post requesting us to discuss Essence uh, further in depth. So basically... Why are the essence rates what they are compared to other games? You know, it's a little bit on the expensive side in terms of converting essence into uh, particular cards and the reverse of just breaking a card down into essence and then adding that to your essence pool. Uh, we can also go into after this real quick uh, about what some of, of uh, co coffee sex katamari's, uh, you know, suggestions are in terms of uh, streak rewards, login rewards, etc. We can touch into that, but uh, we're gonna. I just want to talk to you first about essence. And now, just for those who do not know, the essence exchange rates. Now, basically, if a common card will break down for ten essence, however, crafting it is fifty. So you have a five to one ratio there. Uncommon is twenty to a hundred. Rare is breaks down for a hundred, but is crafted for five. And mythic is six hundred crafting for 2400 so that is only a four to one ratio whereas the previous ones are all five to one now what i get your thoughts uh gentlemen about why the crafting rates it seems like the essence numbers are first of all common uncommon and rare are all five to one may other major card games typically are four to one things like um hearthstone etc usually break down at a four to one rate so already you're you're a little bit above and beyond what that uh that that conversion rate is but beyond that the mythic rate being four to one is okay but still you're breaking down uh you're breaking down six rares uh sorry you're breaking down um you know 24 rares to create one mythic that seems rather out of control i have the answer you ready it hit because, me because that's the way it was made 
<laughs> well, that's yes. why it's like that because but if that's, that's how it is. Everyone, if that's how we approach every topic here, this would be a three-minute podcast, and the first two and a half minutes would be me making. I, I know. I, I'm just saying. Everyone always likes to like analyze these things and be and compare. Well, this game does it this way, and this game does it's like okay, great. Then right. Go, then go play that game. I don't know. Like, there's a reason no, no, why no. we're playing this game and not that one. Like, like right. you're absolutely right. Like, yes, yeah, sometimes the conversion rate sucks, but that's just the way that it is. Uh, but the, but they want us to like I mean like we want to get into actually a little bit more about this and yeah yeah and, of course and, I'm just being I'm just giving you my my first like okay this is just how it is answer so I got you control your co-host I got you coffee sex I'm on your side buddy I've never said coffee sex in my life but damn does that sound hot and steamy in my life oh my now I want God. some coffee is that weird yeah I, I won't even I'm you know, I'm not taking the bait on that um, all right, I'm gonna head out yeah all right but, so laser on this one, my dude. Yeah. You know. So here's the thing, right? Um, all of the numbers for pretty much every system in this game are slightly higher, and that's fine. For instance, I think you guys talked about this a little bit last week with Charmer, but uh, most games are in increments of either a hundred or a thousand gold or currency units for a pack. In Mythgard, it's twelve hundred, uh, and that's you know that's what it is. Uh, and it's slightly inflated compared to other games. The thing is, the rewards are also slightly inflated. Instead of getting, I think in Magic, I get like three or four or 500 units of currency for a daily quest. In this one, I get like seven or 800. I know in Hearthstone, you get like 10 gold for three wins in a row, or three wins in a session. And that's a tenth of a pack. And then in Mythgard, you get five wins within a 24-hour period, and you get 1,200 coins, so you can get an entire pack off of that mission. So everything in this game is numerically somewhat inflated compared to other games. That includes the essence costs as well. Uh, yeah. But I think the, the the thing to take away is that while the costs are higher, you're also getting, like again, just numerically a higher amount. You did point out that that translates into a slightly higher conversion rate um, than uh, other games. But I think the, the thing to keep in mind there is that you need fewer of a card per rarity than you would in other games. So I'm going to stick with Magic for the example. Um, maybe I, I'm, I don't remember the conversion rates in MTGA, but let's say that, for example, the, um, the conversion for Mythics is one to four. I, I'm making that up, but say it's one to four. Uh, that means you have to break down four Mythics to get a new one. Awesome. You need to make four of that mythic to have a playset, man. Like you need, you need more of them, and that's not the case in Mythgard. As you get more rare and more expensive, you only need one or two of them for your mythics and your rares. So the numbers are inflated, but the the requirement on the player to invest is also lower, assuming you're going for one deck. Um, and I think that's where the complication comes in, from my perspective. The complication comes from people wanting more than one deck to play, which is very reasonable. Variety is the spice of life. You love to have a little bit of aggro, a little bit of control, a little bit of combo. And in that situation, uh, it does feel a little worse to have to do more work to get those cards because uh, the mythics in Mythgard tend to be less universally applicable in my experience. There are a lot of niche ones that are good in a certain situation, but not as universally good. Um, 
I don't know. I think I'm just rambling at this point, but <laughs> I, I think the fact that you only need to craft one of a mythic instead of in other games you need to craft multiple offsets the fact that the numbers are inflated. Well, that's the that's a lot of the fact that that kind of skews things in terms of why the economy and magic seems so intimidating is because of the fact that um, if you like a card, you can craft four copies of it. So if it's good enough to craft one copy of, typically you want multiples. If it's if it's you know the, a basis of an actual workable strategy, and if you look at the current mythic championship deck lists that have been released. It is just four ofs, four ofs, four ofs, four ofs, four ofs for the most part. Like there are decks that I currently am playing in Magic, a deck that is, all right, I like these colors. I am going to slap in, you know, 32 cards of, uh, or, you know, or 36 cards that are literally just four ofs, the best of each color and go with that. And it is an, uns- it's, I don't want to say it's an unstoppable deck, but it's a very strong deck. It's like if one Teferi is good, four Teferis are better. If one Hydroid Crisis is good, Four is better. One Nissa good. Two great. Three awesome. Four freaking, you know, for the win. That's kind of how that goes. It's craft one, craft four, the win. That's essentially how that goes. And in this, that's where that kind of economy becomes very intimidating because you want to spend, you know, you like a card, but you want more of it. However, in Mythgard, I think it's a little bit different because there's so many big ones that you can get. The 99 yeah. Mythics will always be something that everybody falls back on as a very, very big point of contention because even though you can only play one of, you're kind of limiting yourself in terms of how you can craft your decks because of it. And how do you expand that collection of 99 Mythics? You craft the cards. But the problem that people are seeing is that we want to increase this, this collection. We want to try new things. We, we are, we're doing the dailies but we're opening duplicates and we're dusting them and it's just taking so long for me to get that Magnus or it's taking so long for me to get that, that, you know, jamming satellite or that extra uh, or that, that braggy or that, you know, that short stag or whatever the hell that they need. And that's because there just seems to be a very, very scary ratio. And, and I think the, so the next thing that, that coffee talks about is that, he's he's wondering what our thoughts are about finding extra interesting ways to sprinkle in essence rewards versus just coin or pack rewards um and essence is something that like dust in in hearthstone or um i mean they don't necessarily have the same thing necessarily in um in magic but uh crafting cards is one way to pick and choose what you want to make and some card games don't even allow that which is interesting so god bless freaking Mythgard for having that as an option at the very least but finding other ways to wedge in earning essence as a uh as as a reward and one of the ways that he suggested is perhaps adding random essence uh, amounts much like the coin amount into the weekly chest and perhaps having something along the lines of uh every time you open a chest it that increases so kind of like a a a reward for a streak and what i want to add on top of that is maybe that they should do something like a login reward where if you log in every day a lot of games do this if you log in on day one and you continue a streak you kind of like okay day one is 50 essence day two is 50 coin day three is 100 essence day four is a rare wild card you know and you keep going and and keeping that streak going to increase the rewards. i want your thoughts on that so my I have a thought on the login rewards. I don't like that idea as much, and here's why. For me, 
login rewards feel worse to miss a day than it feels good to hit a day. You know, like if if I hit a day and I get, you know, 10 coins, it would be like 100 in Mythgard because it's inflated by 10. But if I get 100 coins, that's good. I love it. That feels good. If, however, I only log in 29 out of 30 days and I miss that big login at the end of the month, that feels a lot worse on that day than it felt good on any of the other days to get that reward. What I would prefer is for the weekly chess to match almost exactly what they would want the sum total of the rewards for a login period to be. That way, the weekly chest acts as a login reward that you can never miss because every day you play is a hit and you didn't miss anything in between play sessions. Does that make sense? I get what you're saying. I don't know. I feel like it, it makes a lot of sense to try and incentivize players to log in every day, get them enfranchised, keep them interested in the ecosystem. But overall, I think it causes more bad feelings than it causes good feelings. So I would I would really encourage them to stay away from login rewards and make the weekly login chest effectively the same thing, just happened all at once instead of spreading it out over the course of a week, a month, whatever. What's the most you've coin you've got out of a a reward chest? Because I'm getting sort of conflicting conflicting reports as to what the actual ceiling is for that uh, for your score on that. Yeah. You know, like it, and the most I've ever had was like uh, I I broke three thousand. I think I got like thirty one hundred once. And someone was telling me uh, on I was streaming yesterday, and someone came in and was telling me that they 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 nailed down like a four thousand. Yeah, opening. the most I ever got was forty two hundred. Well, that's pretty big market. I don't know. Great. That I, was the wonderful. I don't even know to be honest. I, I I always open it, but then I go, "Ooh, that's a lot of coin." I don't even remember how much it is, <laughs> so I can't even tell you. I don't. But really someone was telling track. me that like the, the high end is like breaks like is is it's uh, over ten thousand, and I don't know I don't what know the accuracy that. of that. That seems like high. That end. seems like something you you would probably want to ask Ryan. I'm sure that they would say, "Well, the ceiling is this," but I I don't even know. Yeah, that's just uh, that's just me being lazy. Yeah. I should probably just. I, Let's get Leo on the line right now. <laughs> Leo, yeah. I just want to say about login uh, rewards. I don't. I also don't think that that's a good idea. I know Legends does it, but I think that I found myself just logging into Legends just to collect that daily reward and then not even playing. Like I just, I would log in. Right? Yeah. So you just log in, you collect the thing, and then you exit. It's like, that's not really creating an atmosphere to play the game, you know? And like, (laughs) we want to create an atmosphere that's encouraging you to play. So having rewards that are saying that are daily, like, I like that Mythgard has a lot of daily quests. Uh, that was something that I also liked about Gwen. Gwen has a ton of quests, not just only daily quests, but they have all these achievement quests as well. Like there was tons of things to try to do, which forced you to play different, uh, you know, play in Gwen. It helped force you to play different factions, play different leaders, play different styles, play specific cards, play different game modes. And uh, Mythgard kind of does that as well with the amount of daily quests and with the weekly chess kind of thing. So I think if we were to introduce login rewards, you'd see a lot more people just logging in, collecting the reward, logging out, and then they don't play. And that's not, I don't think that's a good idea. I think that that just makes a really weird 
uh, like, what, what is this then? What are we doing? Like, <laughs> yeah, like you that, know, like, like, do you just go to a casino? Do you walk into a casino and collect a hundred dollars that somebody hands you at the door and then walk out? No, that. Right? that's what I'm saying. To, okay. But that's Las my, Vegas today. That's my point. When you, when you go to, when you go into a casino, you still have to sit down at a table and play for a little while. And hopefully you walk away with something. You don't just walk in the door, automatically get handed a reward. And then you just walk out because then the casino doesn't make any money. Right. So that's kind of like the point. What That's not. I, a good idea. Yeah, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, I think the strategy also, with the login rewards is also the fact that, like the casino model that you talked about. First of all, Magic Casino. If anybody's listening, make that Magic Casino happen. I will <laughs> move in a tent right outside the door, walk in every time, get a hundred bucks, easy. But the that casino model you're talking about, like nobody just hands you a hundred bucks to walk into a casino. Well, some of them actually do something to that degree, where if you sign up for the rewards program, they hook you up with like here's fifty dollars worth of free spins on any of our okay our- yeah sure and and magic did that right because magic had the season pass thing and i did that for yes. this last uh go around season and it was yeah. nice because it was 20 bucks it lasted me for the entire rest of that set and i got extra rewards just for logging in and just for like playing a couple extra games you know that was nice so i think if Mythgard introduced something like that that would be a better idea because now Mythgard is giving you an option of spend some money to get bigger rewards and yeah. then we both win. You know what I mean? Like, that's a better right. idea. Uh, that's something that we can. That's like I think that a, a season pass kind of thing is a, a whole other discussion uh, that uh, definitely worth having. Um, but like from that from that that whole because like walk in, get 100 bucks. I think that that strategy would work, for instance, when a, a developer has has this log in and get a reward kind of, of model. It's because even though you, Mark, went in, did your 15 second login click the button, get your reward, log out. I'm sure that even if there are people who do that, they know that there are some who are going to be enticed, excuse me, to jump into the game, collect the reward, and then say, ah, screw it, I'll play a few games. <laughs> and if if yeah. that's if if that's like 10% of the population, of that 10%, maybe 1% of that 10% are going to be like, oh man, okay, you know what? I Maybe I should buy a few packs because I saw that deck and I really want that card. So I'm going to go ahead and get it. And it's again, it, it, it's one of those things that's just going to entice more, uh, more reps at the game. And I don't think that Mythgard necessarily has to do that. And like a lot of the major games that aren't struggling for players, I would say don't necessarily have those daily, those login rewards. I think the login reward, frankly, right now is just the daily quests you get. It's yeah, but you have to yeah, earn it. Right? Exactly. You want, you want to know the, the real truth of why daily login thing is even a thing in some games. And I can tell you exactly why it's not because of what you just said, even though that's part of it probably. But the reason why they want you to log in every day is because then their their stat numbers get pinged of this is how many daily players we have because you logged into the game on that day and they count you as an active player. So when they go to their investors and sponsors and they show this giant number of how many people logged into the game that day, that looks really good. And that's why they want you to log in. Like that's really what login rewards are for. And you know what that's most relevant for? Games with ads in them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's why a lot of mobile games have login. Yeah, a lot of Facebook games and mobile games have login daily login rewards because the ad like even for seeing that ad for a second they get, you know, you get pinged with money. So you're like a 10th of a cent for that. And then yeah. do that across a hundred thousand people. Mm-hmm. Bastards. What <laughs> is going on in the world? Well, Damn it, everyone. I mean, it's, I don't really want to stab at other games, but to be honest with you, that's probably why legend still has a, a high number that they show because I can guarantee you a lot of people did what I just said, where they just logged in, grabbed the reward and they didn't even play that day. 
Like I'm sure that happens constantly with that game. It happens in any game with login rewards. Yeah, yeah. for sure. It it's not a true demos- it's or it's not a true representation about the actual player basis. It's like, oh, we had we had two million logins this week. Yeah, it's like, yeah but how many of those roll you know, how many of those actually logged like right. queued up a game? Well, there's right? a there's an important number there. There's the how many logins you had and how many people like how long they were logged in, you know? <laughs> like that's how yeah, many that's like, a big effectively difference. click-throughs. Right, right. Then that's not the number they share. They don't share that. They just share the this is how many people logged in today. So yeah, there's a, a ridiculous amount of, of magic games that occur on a regular basis. I was talking about this with Frosty, a uh, magic streamer, and and him and I have a, a podcast on Fridays, and we talk mostly about magic stuff, but um, we're discussing just player bases and, and this and that, and it was just, he pulled up the stat, or he had the stat about how many actual unique games of magic are played on a daily basis slash weekly basis, and it is an obscene amount of games so even yeah. if it's a small amount of players they are they are locked and loaded and ready to go yeah but um, that's a game that's been around for what like 25 oh, yeah. years though so it's that's, like well yeah <laughs> so that's the final boss man magic yeah. is the absolute end all they, of, of they're, card games they're like and- yeah they're like the the cockroach in the apocalypse they're still gonna be around you know, like yeah, they're well, they're just not going anywhere. This is the way I would say I would say they're more like the great white shark in the sense that they are going to be the king of the the well, I don't want to say king of the jungle, because if I if I ever was in a jungle and I saw a great white shark just walking around, just like tipping a hat at me saying hello, I'd be freak out. But um, <laughs> they like the, the great white shark is has essentially gone almost unevolved for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years, because it was already a perfect specimen. Yeah, you know like it's hold, just hold on hold on the land system has a thing to say about perfection yeah okay, sure right. but, but <laughs> the different, if we're gonna if we're gonna equate magic to a great white shark and you're saying that the the imperfection is the land if we took away the land part and improved upon that it's like giving a great white shark wings and yeah, you're like say giving a great card like why don't we just or, mount a machine yeah. gun on the great white shark while we're at it exactly <laughs> can we do that Dude, All I right. watched that sci-fi original movie. Are you kidding me? They've done it. It's called Sharknado. We cannot do this anymore, dear <laughs> Lord. They've already gone back in time. It's done. No more Sharknado. All right. Um, yeah. What would you? What would your thoughts be in that case uh, about if login rewards are kind of like a, a a no-go? Would Twitch drops be something that you? No. No. Oh. No. Boy, okay. I'm on the complete opposite on that one. Dude, oh, I'm gonna. St- I'm just gonna sit back and let you guys go at this. <laughs> So I think I think there is a way for Twitch for Twitch drops to be done correctly. Like I, I think that exists. However, uh, Twitch drops so thoroughly ruined Tesla for like a five month period that I am so wary of oh, them, they, dude. They did it wrong. <laughs> so yeah, they did. They did. Why. But uh, but I got done. Not me personally, but like I saw the effects go so so wrong that it really worries me whenever someone brings it up, and like. Again, I'm sure you can do it correctly. You guys can't see me. I'm like clutching in my head right now. <laughs> it's probably doable, but the everyone who I've ever seen use Twitch drops, uh, the users end up trying to find a way to abuse them. And then when it becomes unabusable, everyone gets angry about it. And I you saying the really, user, the, the viewers try to find a way to abuse it. Yes. Uh, how would you by, how though how would they do that like multiple yeah, logins so or? well so like leaving on uh your account on twitch watching whoever gets hosted for uh you know 24 7 or there was a case where someone set up uh, an account to stream continuously and then people mm. would just 
park their accounts in that stream and get rewards, you know, all the time. And I think there are ways around that. There are ways you could maybe, uh, I've seen, uh, I think Bethesda has their extension where you have, you can like click on elements that show overlaid on the stream. And then you get drops by having, you know, participated in polls or voted for different options, things like that. That could maybe be better, but I, uh, I don't know. Twitch drops make me pardon. No, don't pardon the pun. I intend this pun. They make me twitchy. <laughs> they make you twitchy. Okay, so that I understand that that's a shitty thing to do. Like somebody set up like a the, the 24-hour thing, but that's more on the than the developer like being aware of that channel existing and turning off Twitch drops in that channel. That would be the easiest way around that. But I understand if the the, the game is large enough that's harder to do, but we're talking about Mythgard that doesn't have a lot of streams to be analyzing in that way, and I feel like if a channel existed like that and we had Twitch drops for Mythgard I'm pretty sure Rhino would shut that off pretty fast and turn off Twitch drops to that specific channel. Um, I don't, of course, I don't know the back end of how that works, so I don't even know if that's possible, but I'm pretty sure that they would report that to Twitch and that would be that would be over with. But I understand yeah, so. you, you have a sour place for that. I mean, I have a little bit of a sour place for it as well because when they started Twitch drops for Gwent, they originally did it where you had to have, uh, what was it, like a 1,000 viewers or something? No, 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 no it, was it was 100. It was 100 it was viewers. Like a- 100, 100 150 yeah you yeah. had to have 100 viewers in order for twitch drops to be active and all that ended up doing was everyone who was already popular just got flooded with more views because they were automatically right. gonna have twitch drops anyway and everyone who was a smaller streamer who on a on a really great day would get to 100 but on a normal great day would only get to like maybe 25 viewers were just absolutely decimated and it was really bad and it was only like that though for i think like a month or two before they changed it and they turned on twitch drops for anybody who was streaming Gwent. so i think that if you've learned, if there's one thing that we know about Rhino and Mythgard is that they implement things into their game that has been a lesson learned from every other card game, right? That's so true. if we're going to go along that route, I feel like if they were to implement Twitch drops, they would take notes from every other card game that tried to do Twitch drops and has learned a lesson from that and do it the correct way, the way people would want it to be. Okay. So, I trust the Rhino devs more than I trust a lot of other devs. Yeah. My, my other... Uh, somewhat less subjective opinion, at least my less knee-jerk at the very least, is that it's very, very difficult to have a system where you're giving out things for free where you will not have more people complaining about the amount than you will have people happy about it. Yeah, uh, well, I think the the easy that's, answer that's is don't, the nature of don't hand out too much, right? I think in yeah. Gwent you get, uh, there's two drops that you can get in Gwent. You could either get um i don't even remember how many i it you 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 could earn scraps i think they give you what 200 scraps or something like that or or or, i think it's either 100 or 200 or and then the other one is like you get three kegs but that one's like super rare yeah Yeah, that was really rare you get like oh it's meteorite meteorite powder that's what it is it's 50 yeah yeah it's meteorite power powder and then uh kegs but the kegs are rare so i think in Mythgard, if you did it where you're handing out either essence or coin i think it would probably be essence right but you're yeah. not giving away too much essence to where, oh, I, I earned enough essence to make a mithril card. <laughs> like, like if you gave me enough essence for a drop that would allow me to craft at least a common card or something, like that would be fair. And then you'd have to time it to where, um, you know, it, it only happens every so like every few minutes. Like it's not happening too frequently and you're not earning too much to where someone could complain that they're farming all these channels. Um, the other thing about the farming thing that I thought you were going to say is people had multiple streams open, like they would just open all their tabs and have all these streams open. 
but there's Twitch has been doing this weird thing where if whatever browser window I actually have open, that's the one that I actually am showing up in in that person's chat. I don't know if that's consistent enough, but that's something I've noticed because I know it I happened know. one time when Flake was watching me. He also had someone else tabbed open, but when he switched over to that tab, he would disappear from from the chat. <laughs> it was really it was really weird. And he was like, no, I've been here the whole time. I'm like, well, it doesn't look like that. <laughs> like it's it, like it kept disappearing. Like, I think that that's part of it. But maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I don't I don't again. I don't know all the back ends. I'll, I'll leave it at this. If someone can pull it off, it would be right now. Yeah, well, sure. Fair I, I, I can sort of pull the veil away from this a little bit because the Rhino actually discussed this with the partners about what their um, their stance is on drops. And this might be information to everybody who's listening, but Rhino originally was against drops. Yeah, they do not want them. They did not want them at all. Ha, uh, it was something that obviously they they thought about and they 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 came to the conclusion that we are not doing drops now. It was brought up at one of the first partner meetings as to. Oh, was that the one that the, the one that happened before I was made a partner? Correct. Is that was why the, I don't know about this? Wow, was that like we trying to throw a sting there? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, before us, I was a partner. <laughs> for us elder statesmen of the council, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so they discussed it and they said that no, it was not something that they were looking to do and they, they had no intention of actually implementing it. However, that there was some, I, I forgot who it was who, who asked the question, but they said, will there be drops in the future? And it got a couple nods of, yeah, like that would be a good idea. So it's probably back on the table, but so far down on the priority list of things that they're discussing. And uh, today being October 15th, we got an email from, rhino developer uh uh like the ceo from foo saying what is on the docket for future plans uh with uh some of the stuff that the partners discussed in their most recent meeting and i i cannot talk about these things none of us can talk about those things because it's kind of said to us in confidence about what their plans are for certain changes in the future if i could tell you i would uh all i all i will say is that it's it's relatively economy based but it's 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 nothing for you guys to freak out about so don't worry about it don't don't go into hoarding mode. It's not what, what this is about. Nonetheless, my friends, um, we're going to uh, come back with a little bit more of a feel-good submission uh, from Reddit, something that we don't have to you know, dance around and uh, really be politically correct about. But uh, before we do that, we're just going to hear some words from our sponsor, Inked Gaming. This episode of the Boneyard Podcast is brought to you by Inked Gaming. If you're looking for a one-stop shop for gaming accessories, we suggest heading over to InkedGaming.com. Inked Gaming features both custom and store art playmats, dice bags, PC gaming mouse pads, and tons more. Recently, Inked has added a stitched option on playmats and mouse pads to provide even more durability and uniqueness to your game. Use the code TRS12 at checkout and get 12% off your order today. Play your games with your style at InkedGaming.com. Right, so the last submission, my dudes, is going to be a little bit less uh, prickly, as they say. It's going to be a little bit more interesting from a uh, from a perspective of it's more your opinion, and, and there's no right or wrong answer, as the previous questions, I guess, were. But uh, let's touch upon a submission by Bensi uh, on Reddit. What cards feel good to play? You know, and, and to give uh, Bensi a little credit here, he his quote is exactly is. 
that make you feel that life is beautiful <laughs> when you play them. So I know that there are good cards, there are effective cards, there are cards that have big effects and big swings, etc. But they might not necessarily feel great to play. Like, I mean, I when you play Misanthropia on a full board, I mean, yeah, it's 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 a it's a pretty significant play, but it doesn't really doesn't make you feel that great because the effects aren't immediate and you don't see much. And maybe next turn, a whole bunch of stuff gets sort of wiped out, but it, it doesn't feel that great to play it. But what cards, Laser, make you feel damn good to be a gangster? All right, I got two. Uh, and it's because at heart, I'm still a 10-year-old playing Magic at Toys R Us. Mm. Or playing uh, Yu-Gi-Oh, rather. I like big, splashy things. So I like uh, Living Mountain. That guy oh, is yeah. amazing. He's an eight mana, four blue gems, 12, 12. Feels so good. Uh, true fact, the first uh, the first mythic I ever crafted, and I still partially regret it, but when he works, <laughs> he works. Until he got mur- uh, traitorous murmured away from me, which is yeah. the saddest thing ever. Anyway. And the second one is Earthslide. Earthslide is so fun. You spend all this time setting up. You devote so much of your deck to enchantments, and then you get to pay it off all in one glorious moment when you summon like 35, 35 worth of stats. Oh, it's the best. That does feel good. And the rare occasions where I can really get it to hit off of a few stairways on like a Valhalla, you know, it does feel damn good. All right, Flake, let me guess stretcher <laughs> oh my god it's like your favorite card it, dude it is not even a it's not even a good feeling it's like a, a an existential kind of experience it's a and, sit back and watch card <laughs> oh god those little tentacles of justice that go there and tickle my <laughs> opponent right under the chin it's so freaking good that is i mean and that's the thing because but the thing about it is that when you play it like I want to say that that's a very satisfying card, but when I play it, it doesn't necessarily feel good immediately. I like one of the cards that I feel so damn good about is, and it's a very specific scenario. It's one lane has a snake pit, two lanes over is another snake pit, and right across that empty lane in between the snake pits is a big creature, and you slam a sapo right in that sweet spot. So he becomes a 12-12 of justice. He had a little snake buffet, and then he just goes ahead and chops down on your opponent's unwarded creature, and suddenly he's a 12-12 warded that's just looking justice right in the eyes and, and, and laughing and saying, I am the giant lizard with sinus problems. I'm the one who has mouths on his knees and elbows. What are you going to do about it? That, to me, is the most satisfying feel-good play other than a full board sweep of uh with a thunderclap i think those are the those are the two feel good cards i love it mark you gotta have one okay uh my two and they're both blue they're both uh blue um my first one is going to be cataclysm because it just feels really satisfying to end the game on cataclysm and it's also like i think one of the longer animations for all the cards so it just is like uh, not only did I win, but now you have to sit through this lightning storm that takes like a couple couple more seconds than you're probably comfortable with. Uh, so that feels really nice. And uh, my other card is Ingrid Storm Dotir, if I'm saying that correctly. Mm-hmm. Only because uh, Ingrid not only has Alpha Strike, but Ingrid also brings back all of your Valkyries from the graveyard. So if you've been sitting most of the game with a lot of Valkyries getting killed off, and you're like have nothing left in your hand. It just feels so nice to drop a nice five five 
Alpha Strike on the board, and then get all of those cards back. Ah, it's so good. Yeah, I can't can't disagree with that. And you're right about the fact that the animation takes so long. So even after they are dead, yeah, they're still. I, know. <laughs> I think it's the longest one, right? I can't think of a card that lasts like the animation lasts longer. That's like, like that's the, a really long one. Like the it says like you win 150 XP. Here's some coins, and there's still lightning. It's going, still going, yeah. <laughs> thunder clapping, but it's like, also oh, a sense. It's not just a satisfying finisher. It's also a satisfying card to wipe a board with. I, even though it kills your side too, there's something very satisfying about like just you know cleansing the board completely. It's just like ah, we get to start again now. You know, something nice about and- that. Speaking of satisfying, this has been a very satisfying episode, and I've been very, very happy to uh, have Laser on the show, my dude. Um, great show, guys. Great show. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, Definitely it's been a great lot of fun. Here. So before we part ways, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I do want to remind everyone that there is something called Extra Sauce. And Extra Sauce is essentially we jump into some extra topics, uh, a little off the cuff. No censorship allowed in that portion, and you can find that episode linked to uh, in the description of this video, of this podcast. You can find it on TeamRankStar.com. Mark's going to get us all hooked up with that. And uh, uh, but for, the- for our audio listeners, uh, just head to TeamRankStar.com. You know, we, we always post on YouTube as well, but if you, if you only listen to us on Spotify or Google Play or Apple or something like that, just go to TeamRankStar.com. If you go to the MythGuard section, it's always right there on the front. Absolutely. Hey, while you're there, check out all of our great MythGuard content that our team is posting pretty regularly. Heck, yes. There's all kinds of great stuff there, ladies and gentlemen. So you can really, you know, uh, fill your boots with all that wicked cool content. Uh, and uh, Extra Sauce is going to be us talking about the Moonlight Masquerade, which is a tournament presented by 98.3 Media with uh, with help from Team Rankstar. Uh, it's a free-to-enter tournament, and you can go ahead and we'll uh, include the link for that. But if you want some information for it, you can either tweet at myself, at WatchBlake, or, or at MarkTheus, or check, follow along with the Team Rankstar. It's all the information is there. But we're going to chat about Moonlight Masquerade in the Extra Sauce segment, so you do not want to miss that. So go check that out. But we are going to say a premature goodbye right now to our good friend, Lasergician. Thank you so much for being on the show, my friend. And for those who want to catch you or your content, please direct the masses. But of course, on Twitter, I am at Lasergician. On YouTube, you can go to youtube.com slash C slash Lasergician. I am one of the MythGuard content partners. I try to upload three videos a week every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So head on over there if you want to see what I got. And I stream uh, sporadically, infrequently, kind of when the mood strikes me, at twitch.com slash Lasergician. Awesome. Thanks. Wait, you stream on twitch.com? Yeah, what is switch.com, man? (laughs) Oh, yeah, you're right. It's TV, isn't it? Yeah. Oh my God! It's like he's like the ninja who just moved over to a brand new uh, platform. All oh right. my God! Yeah. Free, Twi- free, yeah. Twi- free Twixer. Twixer. <laughs> Twixer. Well, thank you so much, Laser, again for being on the show. Mark, out of um, I don't know, what are we rating this one? Out of okay, let's put it this way: out of five cataclysms, <laughs> how how many is this show? How would you rate the show? I'm going to give it a ten ten minutes cataclysm effect out of ten. Okay, yeah, which is essentially half the amount of time it normally takes. Oh, actually, last show we determined that it takes, what, it was nine and a half minutes for the average game? So I'm going to give this one a nine and a half minute cataclysm animation out of nine and a half minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, start the cataclysm before the game ends. Yeah. Like, like by the time the game ends, it's actually over. By the way, Um, I forgot to say, before we say goodbye, I forgot to mention this, in two versus two, cataclysm does ten damage. 
Oh, that's true, because you're yeah. knocking on two people. That's yeah. Dirtastic. It's so ridiculous. Anyway. Well, that's, hey, the more you know. Now we know yeah. that's science for you. We educate here on the show, ladies and gentlemen. We're not here to just to run our mouths, even though we do that very well. So I want to say thanks again, Mark. Who are our wonderful sponsors? Oh, we're going to thank, of course, uh, Inked Gaming, Team Rankstar, 98.3 Media, OP Seat, and all you beautiful viewers. God damn, you're beautiful. You right there. You sitting wherever you are listening, you're beautiful. Don't ever forget. Uh, for myself here, uh, I am WatchFlake. Catch me twitch.tv slash WatchFlake or on Twitter at WatchFlake. That is my wonderful and always hardworking co-host and producer, Mark Theus. And you can catch Mark Theus at Mark Theus on Twitter or twitch.tv slash Mark Theus. We are the Boneyard folks, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks again for listening. We will be back with another episode soon. So catch us there. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening, because if it's not for you, I guess we would just be talking to ourselves, which is uh, not the best. So adios, friends, from us here at the Boneyard.